welcome back to another episode of God Built This Podcast. I'm your host, Maxine, and we're on episode 199. Dahmer. <laughs> I mean, if you have been living under a rock the past few days, you'll know, um, or you wouldn't know, that Dahmer is just a hot word right now. So, I'm saying Dahmer because that is the last name of Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dahmer, who is or was, he's no longer with us here on earth. He um, was a serial killer who took the lives of 17 men and boys um, during the early 90s in Milwaukee, Milwaukee. So um, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right? Yeah. So this Netflix documentary, I haven't finished it yet. At this point of my voice, I have watched episode one, two, and three. And I felt like I needed to take a smoke break at the end of every episode. And I don't even smoke. I don't even smoke. But this series man like and you know with me I'm very I like to understand someone's psychology I just like to understand human behavior and understanding humans behavior doesn't mean to agree with said behavior right like obviously I don't agree nor condone what he did throughout those years and to all of the victims and to the survivor, actually, because in the first episode of the series, it's such a slow burn, especially being that I already knew of Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, I was already familiar of him and his crimes and um, just the impact that they had. But I guess I didn't really understand it in full detail. And since the premiere of this series, I've been noticing a lot of tweets on Twitter about it. And people were saying, people who lived in Milwaukee at that time remember the hysteria that was happening during that time. And they also said that there was a smell in the air, like things just didn't smell right. And as you know, when you have a rotting body or bodies, there's a smell that comes with that, just like with any rotting animal. And maybe, so I'm thinking that's what they mean by smell, but there was just a smell in the air that just was un, unappetizing or just, you know, displeasing at the very least. So the episode, the series starts off such a slow burn, and I felt like I was on pins and needles throughout just the first episode. Um, and it's okay. Spoiler alert. I'm, I'm going to spoil it. Okay. I'm, again, I only watched episodes one, two, and three at the time of this recording. So sorry, but I'll try my best to not say too much, but I mean, it's a known case, right? Like you can go on Google and figure out what happened. So in episode one, the person that he picked up now, a majority of his victims, I want to say actually all, no, not all, but a majority of his victims were black boys and black men, okay? When I say boys, I mean under the age of 18. And when I say men, I mean probably in their early 20s. So 
they were his predominant demographic. Um, but in the latest episode that I watched, I, th- I believe, yeah, episode three, we see that he killed a white man. And actually, he was his first victim. So he started off white. <laughs> Y'all know I gotta find a joke. I gotta find a joke. He started off white and then bled into focusing more on black boys and men. Unfortunately, I mean, regardless of who he's killing, it's just all disturbing and just devastating. But I, you know, there's so many ways to go with this topic. You know, it's not like it's not only about, of course, it's about Dahmer, right? He's the main topic. He's the one who did all these heinous crimes. And, you know, I'm glad that he was finally caught, even though it could have been it could have been caught sooner. Like he could have he could have been taken away much earlier prior to him becoming a serial anything you know the first victim that he caught there was a close scene in episode three where he could have finally got caught by the cops but I don't know if it's a mix of white privilege but I think it's more so about him looking like a young kid and he was pulling the excuse of, in that scene that I'm referencing, his parents being divorced. So he knew what he was doing to gain sympathy. And, for, you know, for that reason, the, the cop decided to just let him go. Like, you know what, just turn your ass around and go back home. Because the cop ended up pulling him over because he was drinking or he was swerving while he was driving, which clearly indicates that he was intoxicated. And instead of ensuring that (laughs) this intoxicated driver is off the road the police officer decided to say just turn back around and drive your ass back home like you couldn't have gotten into an accident going back home like you know it's just and then while I was watching this show just the first three episodes I'm really understanding how just times were different you know like Things culturally were so different back then than they are now. So you also have to look at things from that context. You know, growing up in the 70s, in the late 60s, there was this free range style of parenting. And what I mean by that is many parents during that time weren't really present with their children, whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally, etc. They weren't present with their children. And you have the result of that in kids just doing whatever they want, you know, staying out, getting into drugs, getting into alcohol, not going to school. And you also have a school system that didn't really do their job. Like, <laughs> and all the times when, okay, there's a specific, uh, a specific scene in which Dahmer goes to school and he goes into class late. The teacher calls him out like, oh, you're late. And he just sits down in his chair. And while he sits down, he takes out a pack of bear, a six pack. Okay, and he takes one beer out and opens it and just drinks it in class. I'm sorry, what? So you see the the teacher calling him out. Is that are you drinking beer? He asked him. So he asked him that question. 
the next scene comes in and you just see Dahmer with it looks like it was the like the college career counselor. But there was no moment in time when he got in trouble for bringing in alcohol to school. There was no point in time when I know they, there was a scene when the college counselor said she tried phoning his mom and his dad, but they couldn't reach either one of them. But the point is, like, why why is that just enough for you? You you couldn't reach the parents, and so you just think it's okay to have a child come to school, come on school grounds with alcohol? Like, that is spreading drugs. Like, you're essentially allowing and okaying the spread of drugs. But I think maybe because at that time he was a senior student, maybe there was some leeway there. But either way, like, the school failed him, too. Like, just the whole fucking society failed this nigga. Now, again, it does not excuse, obviously, his behavior. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying just the insight of how he grew up and the context in which he grew up in makes you really aware of how one could possibly become who he became. Now, of course, there are plenty of people who grew up in that time and had similar experiences, right? Maybe you didn't have a present parent. Maybe you had to raise yourself and you turned out to be a good standing citizen. That's great. Good for you. But some people aren't like that. Like, you know, there are people who still struggle with whatever took place in their lives when they were six, when they were seven, and they stay with that mindset. And I don't know what happens to like what is what are the differences between someone who grew up in a rough upbringing compared to someone who grew up in a rough upbringing yet still did something just honorable in their lives while the other person grew up in a rough upbringing and decided to be a victim of their circumstances right so what are the differences between those two types of people is it a nature versus nurture thing? You know, is it finally an adoption of realizing that, hey, I'm in charge of my life and I want more for myself, right? Maybe you finally increase your self-confidence and despite how life gave you lemons, you decided to make lemonade. I don't know. Like, I really don't know how some people turn out for the better and some people turn out for the worse, I think it's just really about understanding that, you know, we have free will, yet some people don't think that they do have control over their lives or their thoughts or their feelings. And, okay, so going into that. So now he's growing up in the 60s, in the 70s, and he's realizing that he's a gay homosexual. Like, he's a homosexual. He's a full-blown, I like dick type of nigga, Okay. He wants men and only men. There's a, a particular scene when he is trying to masturbate while looking at f- nude female photos in a magazine. And he's flipping through the pages, hoping that he finds something that just gets him going. And he's already rubbing himself, right? He's, al- he's already stroking his dick, but there, his dick is not hard, right? Like, it's not getting hard, he's not into it, and it's just not a successful masturbation session. So now, he then decides to throw, like, he throws the magazine onto the floor, and now he's using his thoughts. And the thought that he uses is not necessarily an instance 
of him being in a homosexual activity. He actually thinks of a time when he was um, dissecting a dead animal and playing with the organs in his hands. So while he was thinking about that moment in time of playing with a dead animal's organs in his hands, he he jacked off and jacked off successfully. <laughs> like, okay, nigga, what the hell went wrong with you? Like, how does one turn out that way, right? I don't know. Like, sometimes people just steer the whole the whole wrong turn, right? The whole wrong way. And this is the circumstance of that. I, I just... <laughs> I was so, dis- literally, my mouth was agape, okay? I was sitting there watching that scene. Like, he is really turned on by him holding a dead animal's heart. So you see that moment. So um, there's plenty of times um, his victims, not only did he rape um, torture and abuse and eventually killed his victims, but he, he, um, what's the proper term for it? But he basically, he, he chopped them up. He chopped them up piece by piece. Like he chopped off their heads, their limbs. He even saved a head in his refrigerator. He saved different parts of the body of some of his victims in his home. He puts it in this, like this big container, And this really comes from him being a child and realizing his joy in dissecting things. So when he was younger, he and his father used to pick up roadkill, like literal roadkill off the road. They would pick up roadkill, put it in the car, and then they would go to this backyard shed in their um, home and they would just dissect the damn thing. And they would talk about the different parts of that animal's body. So, for example, they were dissecting an opossum. And the father, clearly he's more well-versed at that time to dissecting animals. And he was just talking about, he was teaching his son about dissecting animals and all of that. And so you see, the mind you, Dom right this time, he's a young kid, probably like 10 years old. And he's like really happy about this moment and really excited about it and really just really into it. And, you know, I look, it, it may feel weird, right? Like, okay, ew, you just dissect the animals. But, you know, someone has to dissect animals, right? Like, it's not necessarily a weird thing. Like, I wouldn't immediately think to myself oh this kid's gonna become a murderer I know that's the typical stereotype though and clearly this is fitting for Dahmer but you know I know people say oh well you gotta watch out for the kid who um would torture animals and dissect but it's not really about the dissecting part because when they talk about like murderers um they really say oh he started off by killing animals not once in his childhood did they show, at least so far from what I've watched, not once did they show um, Dahmer killing animals. He never killed an animal. He just took animals that were already dead 
<laughs> there's a difference and decided to dissect them with his dad and his dad and his dad didn't kill animals either they just did it together so in my head i'm thinking like well this could have been a gateway towards him becoming a veterinarian right like this could have been a gateway of him becoming a doctor like <laughs> it doesn't have to always mean he would have turned out to become a serial killer I'm, I'm just giving the benefit of the doubt, even though obviously he turned out to be a serial killer. But okay, so anyway, <laughs> so Dahmer, so he grew up in a home in which he had to witness his mother experience just these like weird mental episodes. There was one scene in particular, he didn't experience it firsthand, but we experience it as the viewer, right? So we see Dahmer's mother pregnant with Dahmer. And she is first sitting in her home and just rubbing her belly. And in the next scene, we see her at the bus stop, barefooted. It's cold. It's snowing, actually. And she's just, like, in a daze. And her husband, Jeffrey Dahmer's father, he notices her as he's driving, and so he pulls over and guides her into their car. But this is just one of many moments in which his um in which the dad witnesses his wife just go through these mental breakdowns. So initially I'm thinking like okay, you know, there's a there's some type of mental illness, you know, maybe she's schizo. Yeah, I was thinking more so like schizo, just kind of, you know, just having these experiences of just strange moments. Later on, we find out that she was postpartum. And I never realized that postpartum can make you react that way. You know, I'm sure every woman deals with it differently. I do. I'm, I'm thinking about a memory. A memory just came up in my mind, actually, of a time years ago. Um, this lady who I went to church with, well, she was a member of the church that I went to back home in Boston, my childhood church. And she would have these just mental breakdowns. Um, and it happened particularly after her having her first child, her giving birth to her first child. And there was just a widespread prayer call service for her because she was missing. She just ended up missing. She left her home with her husband. She was married. She, I believe she probably still is. But she was married, and she decided to leave her house and didn't tell her husband where she was going, and she hasn't returned yet. And she was just wandering, wandering around and just talking out loud to herself, screaming and yelling, just, like, going through these, like, very creepy moments actually I remember there was a couple of times at church when she would arrive to church and she would just be in a daze and she'll um her body will convulse um and of course if you look at it from a spiritual eye you'll see her as someone experiencing with demons and being possessed by demons and so I remember times when that happened, you had deacons and deaconesses surrounding her, praying over her, speaking life over her, holding the Bible over her to get rid of whatever demon was trying to hold hostage and hold her as host. So um, 
that could have been an expression of postpartum, which is, I just, you know, in my mind, I would just thought postpartum was just, oh, you know, some depression, right? You know, you brought in a life and maybe you're not connected to that child and, you know, whatever, right? And maybe you feel guilty for it. But actually, I'm just looking it up right now. There's postpartum depression, and then, and then there's postpartum psychosis. So let's look at that. So postpartum psychosis is, excuse me, is a severe mental illness that can affect a woman after she has a baby. Most women with postpartum psychosis will experience psychosis, and which is basically a psychotic episode and other symptoms very soon after giving birth, usually within the first two weeks. Psychosis causes people to perceive or interpret things differently from those around them. The two main symptoms are hallucinations, and I'm trying to hold on, let me click the link. So hallucinations as well as, oh, delusions, a manic mood, a low mood, yeah, all of these things. So, okay, so Dahmer's mother was finally diagnosed as, it was after the fact, actually. It was much later, of course. Um, but it was clear that she was dealing with postpartum. They didn't say psychosis, they just said postpartum. But after reading psychosis, it definitely had to have been postpartum psychosis. And, you know, it just makes me wonder, what about giving a child, you know, giving birth to a child makes you experience such such a psychotic break like that is terrifying you know and I wonder if it has to do with any medication that you may have been on but there was a point in I I believe it was episode one two or three (laughs) but um Dahmer's mom she was taking pills and her um, her husband was saying that she should stop taking these pills. They're not helping. They're hurting. And she would take some pills for her anxiety. And then she would take other pills for, I don't know what specifically were the other pills for, but I remember him saying another pill was for anxiety. So I'm wondering with the combination of several different pills, did it possibly trigger or cause, you know, some way for her to then experience postpartum. Mind you, she's taking these pills while she's pregnant. She has not given birth yet. And postpartum psychosis, postpartum depression happens after you give birth, right? Post. So hmm, I, I do wonder if there's a, a correlation here. So I, I wonder, had she not taken any pills, if she was not on any medication, would she then have experienced postpartum depression or psychosis and she was saying also that while she was pregnant she did not feel excited or she didn't long for her child oh it's just it's a plethora of things right like so like this this series really gets down into the nitty gritty so like I knew of Dahmer, right? I knew the crimes he committed, but I didn't know in full detail how he grew up. And of course, I'm not saying this as a way to excuse his behavior, but I didn't know his context. I didn't know his context. I didn't know it in detail, at least. I didn't know about his mother being just mentally deranged. I didn't know about the divorce that he had to 
experience and the absence of both parents. There was a scene in which his he he goes home from school and he and he witnesses his mother rushes outside to the car with his younger brother and she's carrying um briefcases, suitcases, just bags and it's clear that she's going on a trip with her youngest son. And Dahmer's like, uh, where are you going? <laughs> like, are you still my mom? Like, what's going on? And um, she's saying she's going to go on a trip. She needs to clear her mind. She needs to just leave the home. And he's like, I can't go with you. I have graduation. I have prom. I'll be, you know, graduating high school soon. And she's like, and she starts to laugh. She laughs at her son. And she says, you're not coming with me. <laughs> She says, you're not coming with me. She basically also say that she doesn't have a close relationship with him. And, you know, for many years, you will always laugh with with your father about my lunatic, about how I'm a lunatic. Because there, there's been times, but like the son, Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't laughing. He was just witnessing things. But I think, I don't know, I guess her I guess her seeing her son witness her in these frantic moments made her feel like he was judging her. So she looped her son with how her husband showed his disdain towards her because there was many scenes in which her husband was looking down on her and obviously not understanding her psychotic breakdowns. He was just annoyed with the fact that he's married to a woman who can't hold it together. And, you know, that just comes from a place of ignorance, of course, right? And, I, look, I don't think anyone's necessarily in the wrong in this circumstance. You just have someone – it's hard to be with someone who's mentally ill, right? Like, and that's not – like, I think you have to have these real conversations in, in saying that. Like, not everyone is understanding, unfortunately, or sensitive to mental illnesses, you know, to mental disorders, to personality disorders. People don't, some people don't get that shit. And even if you do get it, some people don't want to even fucking deal with that shit. Like, what the fuck you mean you got a mental breakdown? Like, why are you laying in bed again? You know, like, we got to go to work or, you know, you got to get up. We got to clean the kitchen. You got to do this. You got to do that. And you're still in bed. Right. And that's just what it is. Like, some people don't know how to deal with that and they don't want to deal with that. And I think that's your fucking right. Right. Like, Look, and I'm I'm saying this also in sensitivity to her. (laughs) It doesn't sound like I'm sensitive, right? No, but I'm also recognizing that it's not easy to deal with someone who's mentally ill. It's really not. And it takes a lot of patience, understanding, education, right? Just knowledge in general of someone with a mental illness. It's really difficult because you may think, well, I got up and go to work. You know, you know, I got up, you know, I brush my teeth, I, I, I shower, I get going with my day. Why is it so hard for you to do the same? Like, why can't you just fucking get up? You're a mother now. You're a mother now, right? Like, he's expressing these things, and I understand both sides. Like, I understand his frustration. Like, get the fuck up. And then I also have sympathy for her who is just in a whole different realm. She's talking about how she sees aliens, Okay, maybe she did. Maybe she did, right? I'm not doubting that. But I'm just saying, like, people in, like, reality in this realm, 
don't want to hear that shit. People don't, some people don't want to hear that. Some people are not connected in that sense, and they just don't want to hear that shit. I got to go to work. What would it mean you saw aliens again? What, what now? Right? No, nobody wants to hear that shit. So you just have someone who is living in a different realm while you're living here in the in, – I guess this is 3D, right? We're in 3D, and she's living in 4D. It's just hard. It's hard. So uh, it's just a lot. This this show is just fascinating. It's so well done. Niecy Nash is killing her role as the the black Karen neighbor. I, I would describe her as. <laughs> She's black Karen neighbor. And uh, this, you know, the setting also. So, okay, again, this is happening in the early 90s. The episode starts off, the series starts off in 91 Milwaukee and Dahmer is living on his own he's an adult at this point and he's living on his own but he's living in I guess well they describe it as like the drug-filled area of Milwaukee and he's living in this apartment that is not really like you know what is this white boy doing here type of this type of thing and but whatever he is living there he's the only white person I'm seeing living in that apartment because everyone else I've seen in that apartment is black. So he goes to, there's a gay bar. There's a nearby gay bar that he frequents. And he was successful in picking up a black guy, a black gay guy from the gay bar. He brings him to the house. And, you know, he promises him of taking a picture of him or taking photos of him and giving him money. And at first, the gay guy, the black guy was like, oh, well, I don't, like, he was like, oh, well, okay, you can give me $50, right? Whatever. So he decides to go with him. And, you know, everything is always in retrospect, right? You always learn from hindsight. You always just pick up, like, oh, shit, I should have stopped there, or I should have, I should have, should have, should have. But you, you know, you're in the moment. You can't, you can't should me down anymore. We're here. We're the, we're the fuck here now. So there was several moments in which the black guy, I forgot his name, but the black guy was, oh, his name was Tracy. Okay, so his name is Tracy. So several moments when Tracy was in Dahmer's apartment, and he was like, oh, no. So let's start off by Dahmer opens the front door of his apartment, and Tracy, he's right at the door frame something about that particular moment in time Tracy pauses prior to finally entering his home he paused and of course that was his intuition maybe telling him maybe don't go in right don't step a foot a foot further and you could see it in his eyes but of course he decides to take that foot forward he comes into the home, and then he notices Dahmer. Mind you, okay, so this is what I noticed from the beginning of the, like, right before the scene began. Dahmer leaves his apartment, and as he's opening his apartment door, you see several locks. And you also see that despite him unlocking the door, he has to jiggle the door in order to leave successfully. Like, the door's broken. And so he had to, he had to jiggle it. So that just speaks to like the door being broken and only, you know, he 
knowing, you know, he's the only one knowing of this and he's able to be successful in opening the door. Okay, going back to Tracy. So Tracy comes in and he finally enters enters his apartment. Uh, Dahmer closes the door and locks it up. Like there was his final clink that indicates the last lock. Mind you, it's several locks. <laughs> and the final lock is locked. And Tracy notices that. And he's kind of like, uh, like you can see it in his face. Just like uneasy, just very uncomfortable with it. So he's like, okay. So then he notices there's a smell. Like it smells really bad in here. He's like, man, what's that smell? What's that smell? We then find out it's rotten humans in his home. So, um, but Dahmer gives the excuse, oh, I just have dead meat, like animal meat. And um, I like to eat, I like to make pork chops. And this is, a, this is the you know, result of that. So Tracy is um, kind of like, uh, you know what? So then he tries to leave. He's like, you know what, man? I'm just going to – nah, man. I, you know, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm going to head out. Dahmer stops him and then says, no, don't leave. Why does everyone want to leave me? Oh, you know, my heart crinkles. <laughs> heart melts oh I'm such a sensitive bitch I'm too sensitive for my own good sometimes because I'm just like how am I being sensitive over this guy who's about to kill this nigga well anyway I mean of course later on I learn you know we learn as viewers why he said that statement you know why did he make that statement why does everyone leave me and it's just so sad because like now learning about his upbringing, about his mother who just randomly left him and wouldn't have said anything to him had Dahmer not catch her in the act of leaving him. And then um, when his parents finally got divorced, his father just, like, fucking disappeared. Like, he left the home, of course. The court favored the uh, his wife for having full custody. And so he left the home and was barely in contact with Jeffrey. Um, Jeffrey couldn't get a hold of him. There were rumors that um, his father was living in a hotel with another woman. And it's like, you know, whatever, he's divorced, you know, move on, that's fine. But like, dang, you can't, you can't come by the house anymore. Like, you can't still co-parent in some ways. Like, I don't know, like, it, it just, he just literally left. Like, he fucking left him. You know, so, and he was really close with his dad. He couldn't have been close with his mom because his mom was just very distant in dealing with her postpartum psychosis. But he was really close with his father. And the fact that his father just literally just abandoned him, knowing that his mother, Jeffrey's mother, his ex-wife, is mentally deranged. It's like, dang, like, why couldn't you have done something? You know, especially being that Jeffrey was 17 at the time, he could have easily taken him with him, right? Like, it couldn't have – and his mother didn't care about Jeffrey like that. She felt like Jeffrey was judging her and um, judging her psychotic breaks, and so she probably would have been fine with her ex-husband taking him. And there was a scene in which um, Jeffrey Dahmer's dad tells, tells him, your mom and I – are divorced and 
you know, I love you. I just, I, I need to get away from this house. He tells his son that I need to get away from from this house. And Jeffrey says, okay, I'm, I'm going with you, right? Like he immediately thought because of their closeness, right? Because of their close bond, he immediately figured that he would be leaving with his dad. And his dad says, uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. What? And nothing was ever figured out. Like his, Jeffrey was left by himself, literally. So when his mom left, just up and left with his younger son uh, or with his younger brother, and his dad left the house, you know, due to the divorce, but decided to just not keep in contact with any of his kids. Jeffrey Dahmer is literally in the house at 17, 16, 18 years old. Well, 17, 18 by himself. And his mom initially said, oh, she'll, she'll be on a, just a two week vacation. In a later scene, we learned that she was absent for months for months. So just going back, you know, re or fast forwarding to the present scene from episode one, when he said that comment to Tracy and saying, why does everyone leave me? (sighs) Look, I'm not saying we need to have sympathy for serial killers, for serial rapists. I'm not saying that. I'm just I'm just saying it's sad. Like, it's sad. Am I alone here? Like, (laughs) that hurt me. I felt hurt. I really felt hurt. And I, I sometimes I wish I wasn't that sensitive dog because, damn. And he, and you could see it in his face. Like, he just never really fit in. You know, obviously him realizing that he's a homo, he's a flaming homosexual didn't help. (laughs) I mean, yeah, he's, he's gay, right? So, like, you know, the context in that time, he has to feel even more isolated, right? Like there weren't, there weren't any like gay support groups back then. There weren't online chat rooms in which he could get his rocks off. He had to kill to get his, get his dick hard. Like (laughs) there weren't any comfort groups, right? There weren't anything like that at that time. So feeling already isolated, and disenfranchised because he's a product of divorce. He um, is not fitting in with the social circles. He's already socially awkward. His parents are neglectful, very neglectful. And he's fucking gay. Like, damn. (laughs) That white privilege is not long in this case, right? Like, in some ways, yes, his white privilege got him away as far as it did from consequences but other than that he did not have a silver spoon like and mind you he lived in a nice home growing up oh it's just really really sad (laughs) it is really sad y'all I mean it's sad I just have sympathy for everything I have sympathy for everything I'm not having sympathy for him killing people of course not it's just I have sympathy for the child that he was and him being failed by everybody in his life. That shit is devastating, yo. Like, you know, I just feel like knowing that, you know, for all the years that I've been an educator, I've definitely come across young kids who probably experienced 
something similar to this, right? And from what I've known, definitely have experienced a degree of this as far as neglectful parents, taking on more responsibility, right? Not really being able to be a child, um, not feeling happy and whole in who they are, not feeling affirmed in their identity. I'm not talking about no transgender shit. I'm just talking about like, just feeling comfortable in who they are, right? Maybe not feeling smart because they're the only black kid in the classroom or, you know, not feeling capable because they may have a handicap condition. I'm talking about all those things. And you just have Dahmer here who was just not really a social fit. He was a complete misfit. He was just very much experiencing isolation on so many levels. <sighs> no, that was a really sad moment. <laughs> I'm really sad about it. Anyway, so, okay, so I think a lot of things come into play when it comes to Dahmer and the way that he was able to gain more victims. So let's talk about how was he able to get Tracy into his home, right? I think, yes, Tracy probably was into him, like, maybe, like, sexually aroused by, oh, my gosh, this, this white boy, you know, let's see how this sex is, right? So I think there's there's an interest in that, right? Just this sexual curiosity of having sex with a white man. So I think that played a role in it, but I also feel like being that Dahmer promised to pay Tracy $50, and at that time, that money ran long. And I think because Tracy didn't grow up very well privileged or, you know, with a lot of access to money at that current time, the idea of receiving $50 just like that was probably enticing. And that's what he did. That's what Dahmer did for, for all of his victims. He promised them money. You know, and there was another scene in which we see Dahmer get this Asian kid who's 14 years old. We learn that he's 14. And the Asian kid, he tells Dahmer, you don't remember me, right? And Dahmer's like, what are you talking about? And he references his brother, so the Asian kid has a brother whom Dahmer actually was intimate with. Dahmer actually, like, tried to get closer to him sexually, and thankfully, he got away. And while he got away, he reported it to police, and the police followed up, but nothing really happen after that. I think he just was labeled as a sex offender, but that was just, it wasn't really taken seriously or whatever. Anyway, so at the revelation of this, Dahmer asked him, so why are you here? If you think I'm a bad guy, why are you here? And I was thinking the same thing too, like, wait, you mean to tell me, you mean to tell me that your brother had this scary experience with Dahmer and yet you decide to be in his apartment like why did you do that 14 year old kid like what, what's wrong with you so he said well you promised me a hundred dollars and my parents and my family needs the money so i'm i'm here that's why i'm here and it's just like wow man like it really speaks to 
how poverty was and how it strikes people into making decisions that could cost them their lives. You know, so it really speaks to, like, that's what I'm speaking on. Like, I'm speaking on the fact that you have a lot of impoverished groups of people, whether it's Asians, blacks, whoever. A lot of, all of them, or most of them, because the white kid, the first white kid, the first victim, he he happened to be white. Um, it didn't seem like he was poor. But, I mean, look, he was hitchhiking in the, in the road, on the road, so maybe he was a little bit poor. Either way, poverty played a huge theme throughout the victims, you know? So I think if these people had access to resources, quality education, job opportunities, then they wouldn't have found themselves in desperate situations in which you have a 14-year-old who was already familiar of the strange and dangerous behavior of Dahmer, yet he still chooses to be in his home to be subjected to do whatever Dahmer wanted simply because of the promise, just the mere promise of $100. Yo, it's just, it's, uh, it's sick, yo, it's sick. So we're talking about poverty, we're talking about mental illness, now let's talk about the satanic Panic! Look, let's talk about that real... I'm going to look it up. Satanic... Remember, we talked about it a few episodes ago. We talked about it. Let's let's go back to it. Hold on. I'm typing... Apparently, there's a a show or a movie called The Satanic Panic. Okay. What the fuck? I'm trying to... Apparently, there was a 2019 movie called Satanic Panic. Okay, that's not what I'm referencing. Okay, so let's go on Wikipedia. Type in Satanic Panic. Okay, this is what it says. The Satanic Panic is a moral panic consisting of over 12,000 unsubstantiated cases of satanic ritual abuse or sadistic ritual abuse starting in the U.S. in the 1980s spreading throughout many parts of the world by the late 1990s and persisting and persisting today. Um, so basically this includes many circumstances during this time frame in which there was this fascination and sensualization. Oh my gosh, I sensationalized. That's what I meant to say. There was a sensationalized viewpoint towards Satanism. And there were a lot of young people, young white people, young white teenagers, very much into satanic rituals, buying satanic ritual books, joining satanic ritual worship groups. Like there were it was a cultural phenomenon and because of their adoption of this satanic religion they of course are um acting ways to support their beliefs and many of the beliefs within satanism is sacrifice and killing and you know if you kill something you're sacrificing it for for something so anyway, um, what's his name? Dahmer 
was into that shit. <laughs> in the first episode, I noticed, or we noticed as viewers, that there was a book on his um, bedside table, or just a table in his in his apartment. I think it was the living room. And Tracy notices that too. And you see the close shot of the the title of the book, and it was called Satanic Worship or something like that, but it's called Satanic Something. And so that was just a glimpse of, oh, he's into that shit, right? So then another scene, he's watching TV, and it's apparently a, just a horror film that he watches every day. He learns the scenes. He learned the, the speech that this pastor, this satanic pastor in particular, delivers when performing a ritual and so he's repeating it and he's mesmerized by it he's watching the tv mesmerized by all of this and it's just like damn so anyway so you you see the impact of satanic panic upon jeffrey dahmer so you see all these themes right you see the theme of mental illness specifically postpartum psychosis you see the theme of poverty and you know many disenfranchised groups experiencing poverty which led them to being in desperate times or situations and measures leading to Dahmer just having success over them and then you see the example of satanic panic over Jeffrey Dahmer's actions because he was so mesmerized by Satanism. He was so mesmerized by horror that he wanted to mimic that in his actions in real life. And then, you, of course, you see examples of neglect in his childhood. You see the examples of not fitting in, isolation, um, homophobia, feeling not like anyone else because you're gay. So all of that really made him successful. That is the making of a serial killer, right? Like you have someone, okay, <laughs> I'm isolated. I was neglected. I was abandoned. Um, I have a little bit of money that I could use over people who are impoverished and use it to my advantage. So I use poverty as my advantage to get my victims. Um, my mother was mentally ill, so that kind of fucked me up too. And my father abandoned me. Like, it's just... He had no hope. Like, I don't think any amount of therapy, <laughs> right? Any amount of prayer. And that's no offense to anybody. You know, I, I get it. Prayer works. I get it. But no amount of any of that could have changed this man. I think some people are just damaged goods. And that's just a horrible perspective to have. I'm sorry. But I do feel like there are some people who are just damaged. And just not even good, right? Like, he's not even good. But there are some people who are just so damaged and so victimized by their experiences and the circumstances that life have given them that there is no hope. There is no hope. So I think there was a point in time in which Dahmer, his humanity left him, right? Like, of course, he was still operating in his flesh, right? Like, he's in his body. I'm going to do body things, right? I need to get up. I need to use the bathroom because I have a body. I need to be a human in this, ro in this world. I, I have a body. Like, of course, but 
I think what really drove him was demonic possession. I think what really motivated him to do everything that he did was demonic possession. I think there was a, a, a breaking point in his life in which his body was no longer the the good soul that he was created in because I do believe we're all um born in God's image yet our free will comes into place and you know circumstances in life shape us and we could either decide to be good or be evil and I think there was a moment in time in which Dahmer decided to just choose evil and him continuously choosing evil led to his body being possessed by demonic spirits. I'm sorry, you can't tell me different. You cannot tell me different. He was possessed by a demonic spirit. And he his body was used as a host for demons. You cannot tell me any different. You can't. And I, You're being wooey wooey, Maxine. Call me whatever you want, but I'm looking at it from a spiritual lens. I'm looking at it holistically. This is someone who was demonically possessed, period. And and that's why I say there is no, or there wasn't any, because, again, he's dead, but there wasn't any way to get through to him. Like, you can't can't love him out of demonic possession. I'm going to love you and be a good partner to you. I'm going to be there. No, he's already possessed. Now, of course, yes, it's exorcisms, right? You know, I do believe exorcism, exorcism works, and you know the power of that but he had no access to that he wasn't going to church he wasn't raised in the church there wasn't a pastor living next to him like he had no access to that there was no one in his life opening the door for that access so that's why I say he was damaged there's no hope for there was no hope for him to ever become holy to to change his ways to choose good and not evil nigga was demonically possessed and damaged and it's best that that is gone like when you have people like that who are just pure evil it's not because oh I just made bad choices no you're demonically possessed and I'm not saying that to say oh you know he sh- he, sh- he shouldn't have gone through the court of law um and getting justice I'm not saying all that but I'm just saying like when you're speaking to someone who's demonically possessed, you're speaking to a whole being. You're not speaking to humans anymore, right? Like, you're wasting your emotion. Like, okay, and I, I don't mean to shit on the families of the victims who spoke out against him in the court, but um, I came across this article of this side-by-side image of Rita Isbell, who was the sister of the brother who was one of the victims of Jeffrey Dahmer. And this image shows you a still of the 1992 court proceedings, and she is yelling and screaming at Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, of course, she's impassioned by the crime and the crimes that took place, um, particularly the one that took place against her brother. Um, But anyway, so she is impassioned, right? She is a human being. She's demonstrating her feelings and just her pain because she uh, she is the surviving member of 
one of his victims. And though that may have been therapeutic for her, right, maybe her yelling at him and being dramatic in her reaction, rightfully so. I'm not shitting on her for reacting the way that she did. I just think that when you're dealing with someone who is damaged like that, who is so far, he's so far gone, there is no soul in him. You know, there was no soul in him anymore. There was no room for God in him. There was no room for humanity in him anymore. He was completely usurped by demonic spirits. So I say that to say you're wasting your time, right? Like you're wasting your time screaming at him and asking him what's wrong with you and how could you, you're evil, and even try to like ask him about like, do you feel sympathy? Do you feel sorry? It's like you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. And I just, it feels like just an uphill battle because you're arguing essentially with a fool, right? Like you're arguing with someone who's not on your level anymore. You're, you're in reality. He's not. He's not present. You're speaking to this vapid energy. Like it's not. You're not speaking to a human being. Anyway, I say all that to say, when someone's damaged goods, you just got to just not interact because they're liable to do anything and everything because they have no conscience. They have no soul. They're completely taken over by a demonic spirit. Um, there is a debate happening about whether or not shows like this should be shown to the public, should be created in the first place because it allows victims or the family of victims of these crimes to have to relive through this trauma. And it allows for them to just be dehumanized because people are watching these shows, right, this show in particular, Dahmer, as a means of entertainment while for the family of these victims are not entertained, right? They're re-traumatized, quote-unquote. And so this article focuses on those families and how they feel re-traumatized and that being that it's a, a f um, like, it's not a documentary, right? These are still obviously real accounts, real events that took place, but they're being acted, they're being reenacted, and it's not necessarily an opportunity for... You know how in a documentary you see from or you hear from the actual family members of the victims and you give them an opportunity to talk about that, you know, that family member who lost their life, who was killed and who was victimized by Jeffrey Dahmer. But in this show, it's not the case because you have a situation in which they're not um, – they're not being filmed. They're not being asked about their experience because it's not about that. It's not a documentary. So anyway, this article is talking about that and how it's just a re-traumatizing re experience. And, you know, I get that. I really do. You know, I understand the pain with that. You know, thankfully I haven't experienced that necessarily firsthand, but I feel like you know, there is some validity, of course, to what you're saying. I just feel like, though, and there's also this argument about, you know, well, 
this type of show, you know, this type of series, these type of movies, this is content in the media that is being shown is giving future murderers ammo, right? It's giving them a blueprint, a blueprint of how to become a murderer, <laughs> a murderer, you know, how to become a serial killer, how to become a serial rapist. It's giving them the tools. Here's the thing. Then what the fuck are we going to watch? Right? Like, not everything is hunky-dory. And there have to be shows and movies present available to us that allow us to understand the psychology of people like this. And it's not to say because, oh, your pain is my entertainment. No. It's about, I think it's also about understanding the psychology of someone's behavior and knowing what to look out for, right? Maybe you're in a company of someone who is similar to a Jeffrey Dahmer. And maybe after watching something like this, you can be well-informed and you could be well-prepared to, to not find yourself in a situation in which you may be a victim, right? So I think these series and these shows can be empowering, Right. It really depends on how you look at things. Everything is not always this like programming in which to make you this this evil person. You could choose to decide how you plan to use this information. And if you use it effectively, great. But if you decide to not use it effectively, then that's also on you. So I don't feel like this should be an opportunity in which, oh, shows like this should be banned and people shouldn't have access to this. You're creating a murderer. It's like no, like, let me fucking watch my show. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, I'm not saying that insensitively. I'm really not trying to show insensitivity here. I just feel like there should be some balance. Like, of course, it's sad to know that there are documentaries or not even doc a fictional show necessarily, you know, these actions or these actors acting out this this moment in time but this also is an educational moment. Like, this is, this is also a teachable moment for people to gain something from this, you know? And it also tells you about a period in time in life. It could prepare you for any circumstance that may be an experience of yours that may be similar to what you're watching. So I just look at it all as very educational. I think it's an educational piece of content that you can use to inform yourself and others of behaviors to look out for, of situations to avoid, of just things that you got to be more diligent about because, you know, of course, there are things that you can't control, but there, there are things that are well within your control that you absolutely can control. And you, you know, by watching stuff like this, you could realize, okay, here's what I could do to be, to be better uh, diligent or vi vigilant in my in my world in my sphere, but y'all please check out the 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 show. It's really good. <laughs> if I didn't say anything else, if I didn't convince you after all of that, <laughs> then I I don't know what else to say. I don't know what else to say. It's an incredible uh, show. I keep on saying doc. It's not a documentary, but it's obviously real events. But it's not doc. You know, documentary style type of. Sh it's not that. Um, it's a mini series. 10 episodes on Netflix called Dahmer, D-A-H-M-E-R, D-A-H-M-E-R. And, you know, 
I don't think the show is showing necessarily it's it's not romanticized. I think, you know, there was also this criticism about like, oh, it's romanticizing Don. No, it's not. Little fuck is not. Like, we're just learning about his background, dog. Like, and it also says, so the title of the show is called Dahmer in big letters. But underneath it all, there's a subtitle. And it says monster. And it says a couple other things. But it says also, it says monster, right? So it's telling you that, hey, this is a monster here. We're not condoning his actions. We're not um, saying, hey, it's okay to do this. And, you know, as long as you ask for forgiveness. No, like, we're not saying any of that. It's just giving you just insight of how this person in particular became who he became. It's just giving you insight. So I think it's an incredible show. Um, I can't wait to continue watching it and go on another smoke break. (laughs) And I don't even smoke. (laughs) All right, you guys, I'm going to end the episode here. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to leave a positive review on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and Anchor. Tell a friend to tell a friend, and I will check in with you guys next time. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of God Built This Podcast with your host, Maxine. Be sure to leave a review, give me five stars, and of course, subscribe. Also, follow God Built This Podcast on Instagram at God Built This Pod. God bless.